Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Into Security Magazine podcast. I'm Michael Hill. I'm the editor. And I'm Dan Ray, we're deputy editor. Welcome to, yeah, Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. Uh, delighted to be bringing you this one in some different times from what we're quite mm. used to. Yeah, obviously, Dan, we're kind of recording this, uh, yeah, like you say, the unusual circumstances, obviously, in, in lockdown, like everybody else, really, and working remotely. Normally, we record these in, in the same room, but um, we wanted to keep the content coming your way, so we hope you enjoy uh, this episode as much as uh, the others. Yeah, definitely. And I hope, you know, yeah, say people listening, I hope, you know, you, you're obviously pretty familiar with what's going on now and some of the challenges that are being thrown at you and that you're having to deal with. But uh, we're going to pick up some of the stories that we've seen. So just to kick off with then, um, this is a story that we, we ran on Info Security quite recently. There's been a lot of, um, we'll call it COVID-19, coronavirus, uh, some people are calling it as well, the original name, um, related concept, which we'll get on to a bit later on. But the first story we, we, we actually ran quite recently was about Interpol. Um, the international agency, they issued an alert to, uh, to global police about the heightened risk of ransomware attacks on hospitals and other frontline organisations as they battle the uh, pandemic. Now, it issued a note to 194 member countries, highlighting the scale of the threat, uh, after it claimed to have detected a significant increase in speech marks, uh, so quite serious, in attempted ransomware attack. Um, they said uh, they were looking at locking hospitals out of their critical systems not only delay the swift medical response required, it could also uh, directly lead to deaths. Of course, if technologies are you know being affected, then that's obviously a pretty big deal. Uh, Interpol said it will continue to stand by its member countries and provide any assistance necessary. Now, I've got a bit more detail actually about some of the threats we've seen. There's been a lot of uh, things coming into our inboxes and um, going onto the website in, re- in regard to threats uh, surrounding COVID-19. You know, obviously, as we record, there's probably going to be more things coming out in the, the coming days and weeks. Um, but I picked a few things out that I saw. Uh, so one came from NTT. Um, their monthly threat report for April included, um, they said, recent attacks include information stealing malware built into a fake World Health Organization information app. Uh, phishing emails have offered in-demand items like face masks and coronavirus tests. And um, high-profile attacks have been launched against hospitals, the World Health Organization, and COVID-19 test centre, as um, as uh, Interpol had said. Um, also, we've got some statistics here from Cloudflare. They said that hacking and phishing attempts were up 37% month on month, which was a sh- uh, they noted that as a sharp uptick in malicious activity, while phishing attempts um, have soared by over 6,000, 600%, not 6,000 yet, who's that? <laughs> we'll see that, 600% since the end of February. That's according to Barracuda Networks. Uh, we've seen this over and over again in the past where attackers will jump onto a very popular subject and try and leverage. There's absolutely nothing new in that. But it's very interesting that it's specifically it's ransomware, which has obviously been a very popular malware topic for the last well, certainly kind of five, maybe even 10 years. And now it's phishing that people are really jumping on these things. And I guess, Michael, we've got no real sort of knowledge here of how many are being successful. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, we, we, we can never look at these and go, oh, we're shocked by this, unfortunately, can we? Well, no, like you say, Dan, it's uh, that the, you know that that trend of cyber uh, criminals kind of you know taking taking advantage of a, um, a widespread issue isn't new. Um, I think it's always going to be you know quite 
quite shocking. You know, we've we've seen a lot of the, um, the threats that have been detected, and you know, you've got you've got some attacks that are um, specifically targeting hospitals and clinics, and it is quite shocking. But like you say, it's it's, it's never going to be a surprise. But I think it, it, it is always kind of a particularly given the circumstances, you do wonder whether there's any kind of um, any any kind of um, Anywhere that criminals wouldn't go to, if you if you know what I mean, um, in terms of how how, how low they're stooped. But um, stick it on the uh, on the COVID pandemic. But another news in terms of looking at looking at kind of response and what countries are doing. And we've um, uh, got a piece of news that we covered just today, actually, on Info Security Magazine. So today is the eighth, um, and this was a call that was made um, by the European Data Protection uh, Supervisor, whose name is Wojciech Wojciechowski. I hope I've pronounced that right. Um, so he's called for a pan-EU COVID-19 health tracking app. Um, now he's, he's called for that to avoid fragmented member state approaches, which may not follow privacy by design principle. So he's kind of very much kind of um, exploring the, the the angle of privacy here. And obviously we are seeing a lot of technologies and, and apps and things coming out that are using uh, tracking uh, approaches, you know, to, to, to try and uh, fight the disease and and fight the pandemic and try and get as much data as possible, which I, I personally think is a good thing, but obviously, like always, it does kind of raise the issue of privacy. Um, so Mr. Vavskowski, uh, he argued that even the strict EU data protection regulation uh, makes some allowances for use of personal data in exceptional circumstances like the current pandemic. Uh, so he, he stated GDPR states that the right to the protection of personal data is not an absolute right. It must be considered in relation to its function in society and be balanced against other fundamental rights in accordance with the principle of proportionality. Um, this is an interesting one. I, I, you know, he's it seems as if you know, from his perspective, obviously, you know, he's in the position of European Data Protection uh, Supervisor, kind of voicing concerns that across the EU, um, you may have some countries kind of uh, approaching, uh, you know, tracking and 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 things when it comes to uh, COVID differently to to maybe others. And he's obviously calling for a kind of unified uh, approach to doing that. Um, whether that's going to be possible or not, I don't know. But it's another interesting element of this whole pandemic, you know, the privacy uh, of people and, you know, just, just how much that may that, that may kind of impede that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely. I've been looking at, I read the story as long as you were, you were running through it. And um, yeah, if he wants to get in touch with a, how to pronounce his surname, then, then please do. But um, it's, it, it's, yeah, yeah, the old kind of privacy uh, campaigners do come out on, on on things like this and say, you know, what about people's privacy? What about you know, uh, you know, tracking people's data and and that kind of thing? And you've you've got this. It's a real. It's it's a very difficult situation to to see on one side being right versus the other. Because ultimately, you know, anything that advances research and the way people work has got to be good. But at the same time, people's protections are obviously now paramount with GDPR having been in for. Well, coming up on two years now, so yeah. it's um, yeah. It's I mean, just one. just one one uh, final point there, which obviously um, he he made in this this kind of call in this statement um, was that you know if if we do come back to normality, there needs to be kind of um, a clear definition of of what organisations are, are going to do with the data that's been collected. You know, what's going to you know obviously I think getting back to normality is kind of a long way off and. Uh, and probably not the priority right now, but it is another good point to, to to raise when things, you know, do go back to normal. What happens to all of that kind of data that's been collected? There needs to be kind of a unified uh, plan for that, I guess. Yeah, it's a great, great point. Because if it's a 
yeah, remember the conversations we were having about a year ago, wasn't it, about the uh, database of uh, to access adult websites, shall we say, you know, and the people, the questions wasn't so much, well, there were some questions, ethical ones about, you know, access to certain websites, but it was more about the database of storing people's data and who's responsible for that. So you've got the same conversations going to come around again. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, We'll just move on to my second story then, and um, yeah, we're going to stick with the theme of COVID-19 because it's obviously been all over the news, and uh, it's hard to look at even national news websites and read something that isn't related to uh, COVID-19. But this is one that was actually quite an interesting one because it's very local to us in um, in London, where we're where we're based. Um, there was um, some detection of uh, text messages going around uh, that said uh, that, you know, you've been fined because of uh, flouting the country's lockdown rules. Now, for those of you not living in the UK or uh, not too aware of the situation that we've got, we've been, we were told a couple of weeks ago that pretty much to sort of stay at home where you can, work from home where you can, uh, you'd have to go out, of course, for food and essentials. And um, people are allowed to get their uh, their one set of um, or exercise a day, whether it's walking, running, cycling, something like that, but obviously observe the, the social distancing of, of two meters apart um i think it's two meters apart i just try and avoid everybody these days but um it's um yeah but actually there's some scam tech messages went around saying that it was designed to look like a genuine covid19 alert uh, being sent by the uk government as it came up as a uk.gov and it says the victims who received the message are told that they've been fined 35 pounds after being spotted leaving their home on multiple occasions over the course of a single day um the text appears to have been sent by uk government as i said and it does look in a bid to look authentic, the tech references a genuine media campaign currently in use by the government uh, to protect the NHS by staying at home and minimising the spread of the uh, coronavirus. Uh, if you click on this link, um, you do get a message which uh, where you are asked to uh, enter your payment details. Um, a number of, of councils actually, of course, were you know, affected by this. And funny enough, the one that actually did comment on this is uh, the London Borough of Richmond, Richmond upon Thames. Now, quite interesting, that's actually where our office is based <laughs> we're obviously not there at the moment because we're not in the office but on uh, march the 30th it issued a statement saying anyone who receives this text should ignore it it's simply another ruse to steal the payment details of users so people are actually getting affected by this particular text message and they're seeing this and they uh, with any kind of banking uh, you know related phishing message and um, some research I did at uh, some point recently, I noticed, you know, I did look the, the most fished brands they were. Number one is still like HMRC, I think, very closely followed by PayPal. Anywhere where you can try and get people's money off them is, is a, uh, you know, is going to be a very popular ruse. And as I talked about in the earlier story there, this is a very simple way of extracting money in this case sometimes it's data from people and getting them to click on something now they're not downloading they're just trying to get 35 pounds you might think that's not a lot of money but if 10 people do that that's 350 pounds and that's starting to mount up just because of people's fear and that they're worried about doing something wrong and of course by not asking for so much money and wanting to be caught out so i haven't received any money any of these messages michael i don't know if you have no absolutely haven't had anything come through. It's an interesting one. Like you say, you know, all, all the different techniques do get used. And here we have another, you know, SMS um, uh, attack, uh, you know, threat. It's unbelievable, really. But um, a bit of news that caught my eye. And uh, again, this is completely not uh, COVID related. So uh, obviously that, that news is this kind of few and far between, I, I guess, with so much going on. But it's always nice to kind of have something a little bit uh, of a distraction to kind of get your teeth into. And this was a, uh, a piece of uh, research, uh, so a report that came out of the Poneman Institute, who are obviously known for doing really great uh, pieces of research. And um, 
they found that just 24% of organizations focused on optimizing their cyber attack prevention capabilities. Now, the reason that was interesting to me is because, uh, you know, for I remember, you know, for coming into this industry, the, the kind of discussion around prevention versus cure has always been an interesting one. You, you, I think you get people who always argue uh, at least for both sides, but that seems to the change. It, it seems to there's been times when uh, certainly my memory where prevention was kind of getting its it, its kind of um, it, it, people were focusing on prevention, if you like, and then things kind of change a bit. And it, it, it is almost kind of the um, a lot of people saying, well, prevention is 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 uh, pointless if you like. You know, attacks are going to happen, um, and it's more kind of focusing on remediation and your recovery and, and things, um, just expecting to to face a breach. Um, but the interesting thing about this is, um, so that was only 24% of organisations are, are focusing on it, and that was despite 70% of the security professionals that the uh, uh, Parliament Institute um, uh, surveyed, alongside Deep Instinct. Um, 70% of them believe that the ability to effectively prevent cyber attacks strengthens their security posture. Now, they, they uh, surveyed around about 600 IT and IT security uh, practitioners uh, in organizations, and obviously found the last percentage of, uh, of companies are prioritizing uh, cyber attack detection and containment over prevention methods. Um, when we're breaking that down into kind of budgets, uh, it, it seems from that research, 79% of security budgets are allocated to detection, containment, recovery and remediation activities, with just 21% uh, dedicated to pre uh, prevention. Uh, that's just that's just by 80% of those uh, IT security uh, pros surveyed saying that prevention is the most difficult thing to achieve in the cybersecurity uh, life, life cycle. Um, so Dr. Larry Poneman, of course, did uh, comment on these findings, and he said this study shows that the majority of companies are more are more effective at containing cyber attacks after they happen because it is perceived to be more accountable. This explains why cybersecurity budgets focus on containing attacks rather than preventing them, as well as the increased rate of breaches despite investments in cybersecurity solutions. Um, but uh, also commenting on was uh, Guy Gatsby, who's CEO and co-founder of Deep Instinct, who worked with the Ponyman Institute on this research. Um, he said that this is no longer an economically viable long-term strategy um, to, to kind of operate under this policy of a assume breach, if you like, and uh, believing that it's more uh, pragmatic to contain cyber attacks after penetration. Uh, he went on to say the value of uh, prevention is clear for any type of attack. Prevention saves a significant time and money. So that is an the reason I thought it was interesting, Dan, is because I, I did kind of think that, uh, you know, the, the prevention approach kind of had its day and it, and it just wasn't kind of a viable option anymore for organizations like, you know, that kind of that, that assume breach mentality. Um, but, it you know, it's interesting when um, research like this comes out and you realize, well, that is a very very small percentage of the budget that's being put into or, or dedicated to prevention just in itself and at least kind of uh, improving prevention um and you just wonder well you know what's what's the best way to go about it i guess yeah funny enough i, I have yeah i heard this conversation about detection not prevention actually i just i've just googled this actually uh there's on the prevention not detection i've seen found one article there from 2018 saying prevention not detection and then uh i've done from another one there why today cybersecurity requires detection not prevention so you're never going to split anyone on that one because everyone <laughs> seems to be on the other side of the fence but i think yeah that assume breach mentality it always seems very defeatist to me it's always like you know what's the point we're going to get hacked anyway let's just try and you know survive it rather than actually thinking that let's try and do do you know 
what we call cyber hygiene and actually step forward and try and do something a bit more proactive. So, um, but you know, it was yeah, it was interesting. Always good to see stuff from from Parliament. I think they do some excellent research. Mm. Actually, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, that kind of rounds up our uh, top news stories of of the last week or so, or at least the news stories that kind of resonated with us the most. Um, keen to spend a couple of minutes now just reflecting on kind of how the last several weeks have been, really, from our perspectives. And um, obviously, it's busy. It's been busy. It's been busy for everyone. Uh, Dan, just just relating to you know the pandemic and and all of its impacts. What what have you seen as the you know the, the really key standout issues for information security? Well, we've done a few um, articles actually on on info security, which you can look at. And I've just kind of finished actually, as we've got today, um, uh, the sort of third part of a news feature series looking at the impacts of COVID-19 on cybersecurity. The first one I did was like the short term impact as in now you know, sort of maybe in the last three weeks or so to sort of six months or sort of maybe hit about sort of August, September. And then it looked like six to 12 months. And what was quite interesting about the six to 12 month one actually is it much more positive outlook. Um, everyone's been very negative in this whole thing about remote working. Yes, yes, it's a very challenging time for businesses and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll hear the long-term stories. But I think ultimately it's it's actually been quite, a, there's quite a long, long, long-term outlook that, Things are going to change. Yeah, you know, it's going to affect the way businesses work, and it is going to affect the way people actually are able to secure their systems in the long term. And you know, this might make a change in obviously how things are done. There might be more managed services. There might be fewer on-premise security. And if we get into 2021, which we will get into 2021, um, then things you know, things will be different. But it all it was quite a positive outlook actually for the long term. And the third part I think went up today was all about looking at remote working, and it took in different parts of it. But I think what was quite interesting actually was um, Steve Durbin from the ISF. He raised the point about mental health and wellness. Now this has been raised in several things I've read about how people actually now you know need to be considered about because everyone's if we're all working alone. I know some people literally live and work on their own, which can be quite a challenge. Uh, you might even live and work in working in the same space the whole time, 24 hours a day in one space, which is a challenge. And hopefully, you know, those people are able to get some kind of acknowledgement. But just overall, I think, yeah, society's changed. But I think also, hopefully, it will have some positive out- outcomes of the way people treat each other, <laughs> to be very happy mm. with each other. Mm. Uh, I agree. I think it's, you know, there has been challenges there, particularly from a security perspective and uh, I guess that was always going to be the case. But, yeah, the kind of the, the, the uh, discussions I'm having with people, there is a lot of positivity there. Um, obviously a challenging time, but, you know, looking at what kind of doors this may open. Someone made the point to me a couple of days ago that kind of looking at the you know skills shortage and skills gap, you know, having a, a, a far more um, remote workforce could, could help there. You know, it means you, you're getting you, you can get people to work for the company who who maybe aren't able to come into the office uh, for whatever reason or are working remotely full time, but actually you can use their skills. And um, one thing that I did think was very positive, I wanted to just 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 raise it. Um, was the response of the info security industry? Um, there's obviously been a whole raft of of, of, of companies, uh, security companies, both um, for profit and not for profit, um, who have uh, made available free technology, free products, free services. Um, free kind of uh, learning guides and education um you know not not for not for profit they've done it for free uh, to help people um who are working at home to help businesses who are maybe less experienced at, at having a, a remote workforce helping them with you know um, free security products to use maybe on 
devices that they've had to go out and, and, and buy um, and, you know, um, giving training as well to users for the type of things that they need to look out for and, and, and just kind of helping them uh, with guidance on how you can work remotely safely. So I do think uh, that the response, the um, security industry has been quite admirable. And I think it's it's, it's those kind of things which um, are make a big difference, you know, having that compassionate side at a time where it's needed to kind of give give help to people when they when they most need it and i think it will make a difference and uh, i think the industry will come out uh, in a better light for it um but just to kind of get us to to wrap up then for this episode uh, we'll just quickly touch on a few of the things that we are working on that you can look forward to us we're still working hard on all of our content um as always uh so the first thing for me is obviously the q2 print magazine we're working on that as we speak and uh, we're hoping to be able to publish that for you in the next two two to three weeks uh, that will obviously go out uh, in the post in a physical form for for those uh, which are signed up to it but uh, also we we'll then publish the digital version online. Uh, some really great features we're exploring in that issue. Obviously, uh, the COVID pandemic does does play a central role with a few of our features, but we're also um, keen keen to keep things diverse as well. So we've got features looking at um, the cybersecurity uh, implications for airports and. Um, looking at even how information security is more than just cyber as well. So plenty of good features in in the Q2 issue, and we yeah we can't wait to bring that to you. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it, it's always well, it's good to keep the content going. Obviously, that's part of what we do. Um, another thing we've done actually since we last did a, a podcast, just because this of slight delay because of the working from home, was the online summit. Uh, that was held at the end of March, which was a um, well, obviously two-day conference. Those of you who listened to it um, in, in the past will, will know about this, where we offer, I think it's 14 sessions or 12 sessions uh, across two days. I, can always, I think it's 12 sessions, four, right? Four, right. Four, 14 sessions, and it's 11, 11 credits over the two days. That's the one. Yes, I can never remember all the numbers, but no, it's, it's more than 10. But yeah, there's a lot, lot, a lot of content out there and it's all available on demand now. Um, um, well, Michael, I'll, I'll, you, you took out your, your particular highlights first. Um, well, yeah, obviously, just for, we obviously held that online summit vir- um, remotely for the for the first time. Um, so that was an interesting challenge. But, you know, I'm really pleased with how the how the event went uh, generally. Some really great topics and really great engagement. You know, we explored um, changes in, in ransomware trends. Um, we uh, we looked at. Uh, uh, combating phishing uh, we had a we had our uh, new new for this year actually we introduced our point counterpoint live sessions where we discussed uh, over the two days the topics of cyber warfare um, and the importance of security qualifications in 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 career so we got kind of two two uh, opposing thoughts on each of those sessions and, and and discussed those topics um so yeah just really great day of content and like dan said it's all available on demand on the info security magazine website to check out if you haven't already yeah, I was, yeah I was, that was great to be a part of it. And obviously, like Michael said, actually make it happen in the first place, which, uh, you know, considering we're normally based in, a, in an office with a much more better Wi-Fi than we're probably working on right now and better sound sort of uh, quality than we, we're getting. But um, yeah, from my perspective, we, we were able to bring you, I was able to bring you a bunch of sessions on, uh, we did one on ransomware, which closed out the second day. I also did a, a really good in the session on the first day around sort of stress and well-being and mental health which considering you know as i was saying earlier on actually that's now a quite a big deal so it was uh like i said all available on, on demand for you to uh, to listen again um 
also in terms of online content we're still doing webinars there's, there's, there's a whole stack of them on our um on our homepage, infosecurity-magazine.com slash webinars where you can see all the things we've got coming up uh, and now this would have happened by the time this this web this podcast comes out but um on the 9th of april which is obviously tomorrow as we record we're doing a one-off podcast on the sorry webinar get the right word on one-off webinar on um the impacts of covid19 on the cybersecurity industry it's uh, should be really good obviously saying that have not not done it live yet but uh, it should be really positive and also we're delighted to be uh, joined by a couple of people who are going to who are involved in those uh, initiatives to help businesses out so um that's really popular if uh, you know you're able to listen to that again it was sponsored by menlo security and um yeah i'm looking forward to doing that one yeah, it should be great. I think it's going to be really well attended. And yeah, like Dan said, loads of webinars available for you. So uh, if you are sitting at home and you want, you know, some some great content to, to learn from, do check out all the webinars we have on demand and obviously all the others that we're bringing to you live over the coming weeks as well. Um, just one last point to bring up the uh, a, um, Blogger Awards voting is now open. Dan, I'll let you say a bit more about this because you you know a bit more about the Blogger Awards, but um, it's open now. And what, what should, uh, what could, uh, listeners do if they if they so choose well the yeah the european Cybersecurity blogger awards now this year uh, obviously various obvious reasons these will take place virtually normally they're taking place um in and around the sort of the west london area at the time with info security europe uh this year the organizers of skin zpr are going to do this virtually it's sponsored by qualis um now if you go to the, the full web pages on itsecurityguru.org website of course i'm very familiar with uh, look up the page european Cybersecurity blogger awards or if you just google that those four words you probably should find your way there um the event takes place at two on um, the 6 p.m on the 2nd of june however through that you can nominate now i will you know obviously try and you know encourage you to be open and talk about which ones you like but one of the nominations the categories is uh, best new cybersecurity podcast so if you're short of an option and you're listening to this one and you enjoyed it then uh well, there's always an option because we didn't go up for it last year because we were pretty much too new. So anyway, there's an option for you. Fantastic. Well, that's all the time that we've got for this episode. So I hope you enjoyed that. As I said, we are going to look to keep uh, these podcast episodes coming to you over the coming weeks. But I think from all of us here, we just want to say, obviously, best wishes to you all. Hope everyone's uh, keeping safe. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll speak to you again. Welcome to Into Security. Info Security Magazine's podcast.